Be still and know God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone, as if life were a progressive and cunning crime, with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. Good morning, my beloved friends. I've chosen to begin this time with this beautiful poem by David White to help convey the invitation I hear in the story we just read from the Gospel of Luke. We are now in the midst of the season we call Eastertide, the 50 days in which our tradition invites us to travel a kind of metaphorical pilgrimage experiencing Jesus's resurrection. Last week, we heard the story of Thomas and his need to see and touch and experience Jesus firsthand. I wondered about what it means to say we believe and what that looks like in each of our lives. I chose to right-size that sometimes overwhelming theological concept of resurrection into a more manageable size and offered a simple song by Carrie Newcomer, I Believe to help connect us more deeply with the holiness of everyday life. This morning, we continue our resurrection pilgrimage as we follow along with two disciples who find themselves on the actual day of Jesus's resurrection, making a seven mile trek from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We aren't sure from this account why they are traveling, but along the way, we are told that a stranger joins them. As he joins their conversation, he seems to be the only person around who has no idea what or rather who these two disciples are talking about, nor does he understand why they are so upset. At the end of their journey, they invite him to join them for supper, and then something unbelievable and quite remarkable happens. We hear that Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and then in the moment when he shares the bread, 
Miraculously, they recognize him as their Rebbe, their Jesus. And then, just as miraculously, he's gone. They are understandably amazed and decide to leave the dirty dinner dishes and run back the seven miles they have just traveled to share what has happened with the other 11 disciples. So what are we to do with all of that on our journey today? I begin by circling back to David White's poem, Everything is Waiting for You, or in our case, I would say, Everything is Waiting for Us. Do you remember the first line? Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. I need to hear and be reminded that during this season of Eastertide, we are not alone, even when we are feeling lonely at times right now. I need to hear and be reminded that even on the days when I can't for the life of me see anything that looks like Jesus, it is more than likely I am simply not paying attention. I need to hear and be reminded that even when we may feel we are at the end of our rope, even when we grieve the loss of loved ones and the life that we knew just weeks ago, there is something, something good waiting to be revealed. And it is a reminder we are here for connection and community, whatever that looks like in the days and weeks and months to come. In 1988, when I was 26 years old, I found myself walking alongside a friend who would die six months later, but before he did, would teach me more about living than I ever could have imagined. A mutual friend of ours had decided to extend an invitation to those closest to him to consider moving to San Francisco to become part of what would be Richie's care circle. He had been diagnosed with AIDS and at the time, aside from his faithful partner, was alone and not out at the bank where he was a top executive. Saying yes to that invitation was one of the better decisions I have made in my life. We walked that entire journey together in the days ahead. Five of us became a new kind of family. We lived close to each other. We talked on a regular basis. We got mad together and sad together and frustrated at various times. It was tender and heartbreaking. It was also full of life and laughter. And it was very, very painful as we eventually watched our friend slip away and eventually die in a hospital bed with all of us surrounding him. His death was real and hard and looking back on that time, I would have never seen or recognized Jesus as being anywhere near me, but now I do. For days afterwards, I was in a kind of blind fog. I was a young woman who had just had her first significant loss in life. I was blind with grief, the kind of grief that death inspires, and I was also angry at a world that was full of homophobia and discrimination. But then something so life-giving came out of that pain that I can only call it my first resurrection experience. Through a series of what seemed like random events, 
I found myself being invited to a long-term construction volunteer position with Habitat for Humanity, the nonprofit known for building houses for people in need. And I left and went to the headquarters in Americus, Georgia. In the short span of three weeks following Richie's death, I quit my job, loaded up my little red Toyota truck and drove myself to the deep south. And there, ironically perhaps, this young, somewhat militant, deeply hurting and confused lesbian remembered that she was a beloved child of God and called to do something in, more in this world with her life. Over the next three months, I lived and ate and worked with people who were, well, let's just say, very different from the people I had lived with in San Francisco. Their language for God was different from mine. They prayed in a way that was foreign to me. They read the Bible all the time. And all the while, I never saw Jesus, no, not once. One day, I received a message that Habitat's founder, Millard Fuller, wanted to see me. Me, Lisa Gray, wanted to see me. At first, I thought that was really cool. But then I thought about it a little more and realized it was probably like being called to the principal's office. And as my friend Nate says, I was not wrong. That meeting was all kinds of awkward. Basically, Mr. Fuller explained that as a conservative evangelical Christian, he had never spoken to a lesbian before and he wanted to quote, better understand what I was struggling with and could he help me? Again, I don't remember much of the particulars of that conversation, but I do remember that meeting as one of the first times in my life that I stood up for myself and I didn't feel at all afraid. I would like to think that it happened maybe for two reasons. First, maybe Jesus did show up in a new kind of way for me, helping to see myself as a beloved child of God that didn't need to be defensive or to explain myself. And then second, ironically and beautifully, because of Richie's death, more than anything, Richie had taught me the precious gift of living a life grounded in love and not fear. And the irony or the gift of all of that was that time, starting with Richie's death and ending with walking out of that office, that time gave me new eyes to see and claim as gift who had God had made me to be in the world, a gift that eventually gave me the courage to apply to seminary, and then the courage to walk the path towards ordination, and then the courage leading me to the vocation of the priesthood that now I can't imagine my life without. Everything was waiting for me, but for the longest time, I could not put down, as the poem says, the weight of my aloneness. During this season of Eastertide, I am grateful for each one of the resurrection stories that we hear in scripture. I am also grateful that when we take the time to pay attention, Jesus shows up all over the place. Just this week alone, we had quite a few Jesus sightings. Jesus was in our resale shop next to new when we went down to find clothes for a recent arrival to Toledo. 
Jesus turned up this week at an online progressive Christian parenting conference I attended with some of our Trinity families. Jesus revealed himself when we went across the street this week to check in with some of our members who live at the Renaissance Apartments and are struggling to make ends meet. Jesus snuck out at this week's Zoom staff meeting when I sat and listened to each member talk about how much they appreciated each other and the connection that we have. And Jesus is promising to show up in all of the new programs we are working on for our members to stay connected and for our ministry to stay focused outward into the community. Years ago, poet Mary Oliver wrote a poem that does a better job of describing our work as disciples in this area than anything else I know. It is called Instructions for Living a Life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. So maybe just for today, we'll change that title to Instructions for Living Out Our Faith. Each time the disciples are invited to see and feel and touch and experience the resurrected Jesus, I wonder if we too can use those moments to spark our own memories and give us hope for times ahead when we will recognize what it might have been to be with Jesus all along. The disciples were scared and fearful, just as we are as well much of the time these days. They didn't know what the days ahead would bring, and neither do we. Saying we believe in the resurrection is not ever about easy answers, but I think it is about walking together and taking time to pay attention to what is happening along the way. For me, on this day, when we hear the story of the pair grieving of grieving disciples walking along, unable to really see the one who comes up alongside of them, choosing first to listen to their pain and only later then revealing his true nature. May we remember that we are not alone. American spiritual leader Ram Dass once shared words that are a wonderful summary of the spiritual life. They ring true with new depth and meaning for me today. In the end, he said, we are all just walking each other home. Let's keep walking. May it be so.